hard to know what to do with a song like that in church, isn't it? We hear something like that and a little bit different, something maybe, like I said, you haven't heard in church before, and we start to think to ourselves, wow, that's kind of cool. I like the lyrics. For others, you have a different response. It's like, ouch. Uh, that stirs up some emotions in my life. And so here's what I want to do. Uh, this subject that we're dealing with today is a little bit heavier. And so I want to begin just by praying uh, for our time together for this conversation. And so if you'll join me in prayer. Father, whether it's music, whether it's lyrics, whether it's actual events happen, happening in our life, <clears throat> God, we, we all speak this language of pain. God, we're all versed in what it means to have pain in our life, and it looks a lot of different ways, but God, I pray for your presence to be with us this morning as we navigate through some of that together. And my hopes in this conversation, Father, would be that at the end of this, people would leave here with a little bit more hope, with a little bit more clarity on how to navigate the pain of their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Well, guys, I'm not so sure the church has done a great job in the past when it comes to welcoming people's pain. And by welcoming, I mean inviting it through those doors, giving people a platform to actually share the pain that's going on in their life and even encouraging you guys to walk with one another as you're navigating the pains of your life. It's a language we all speak. Sometimes our pain comes through mental pain. Other times it could be physical or emotional or relational. We feel it in our grief, we feel it in our disappointments, in our secrets, in our doubts, in our confusion. We feel it and we see it in the polarization of a heated political climate as wedges are driven between people of opposing opinions. We feel it when we watch our children make bad mistakes. We feel it when we make bad mistakes. And many of us are going to feel pain tonight when the New England Patriots lose. Said no one ever. I Sorry, we pick on the Patriot. Patriot fans here because you can't be a Patriot fan and love Jesus at the same time. It doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> I think one of the things that we could say about pain is that it's a universal, universal language that we all speak, but that doesn't answer the question, what are we supposed to do with it? As we just heard in this song, do we say something? Like, hey, I need help. Or we just suck it up and move on. Do we give up altogether? Maybe we look for temporary relief with drugs, alcohol, pornography, maybe an affair. Can we agree that oftentimes when it comes to the subject of pain, there are more questions than there really are answers? This is why we often kind of throw our hands up and say, God, say something because I don't know what to do right now. Pain oftentimes brings this fog over our life and in our mind, and we can't really see clearly anymore of how to move forward. And We're just looking for God to give us an answer, aren't we? Well, today we're going to focus on this subject and what God had to say about some of the things when it comes to pain and how we navigate through different aspects of pain in our life. And I'm going to come back to that a little bit later because right now, I just want to look at some of you. Maybe it's your first time in here, and if it is, my name's Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor of this church. And if you're wondering if this is a safe place, 
like truly a safe place because a lot of churches, a lot of people talk about having safe places where you can come and actually expose your pain and what's really going on in your life. Yes, this is a safe place to start to talk to some of the people who are around here. And our hope is that you wouldn't just come here and feel comfortable sharing your pain. Our hope is that you would actually share in one another's pain. That's what God's called us to do. He gave us one another so that we don't have to navigate the pain of this life together because pain sucks. I want everybody to say that with me really quick on the count of three. Ready? Pain sucks. It's liberating, isn't it? Right? And if you're Baptist, you're going to go to hell now. If you, I'm, I'm used to be a Baptist. I'm allowed to pick on the Baptist. Guys, when we set out to start this church, we made it clear we're going to talk about real things with real people. And Corey and I would tell you that anyone that shares this stage with, with us up here Betty better be ready to be transparent about their own struggles and their own, their own pain in their life. In other words, we don't want to come in here and just play church. When I signed up to be a pastor, many of you guys know this about me, I didn't really want to get into ministry. But when I said, God, okay, I'm going to do this, I did it with a caveat of I'm not going to act like I'm anybody that I'm not. I'm not going to pretend that my life's all put together because God keeps putting it back together. God doesn't want you acting like that you're somebody that you're not. He doesn't want you acting like everything's okay on the outside, but behind the scenes, you know things are actually falling apart. And if you don't know much about Jesus, I can tell you that he just wants you to be who you are. He already knows the depths of your heart, and so he knows what's happening in your life. And yes, he doesn't necessarily want you to expose all the hidden secrets to everyone. I don't know if that would be smart, but he wants you to expose them to someone because he doesn't want you carrying this stuff alone. I can assure you that. I heard a pastor say once, and I thought it was a, just a great statement. He said, God can't bless who you pretend to be. Think about that. God can't bless who you pretend to be. And the more that I've learned about Christ, oftentimes he won't heal what we're trying to conceal. And so this idea of vulnerability and transparency is really where we need to set the stage when it comes to this conversation. And during this four-week series, we're going to cover some pretty difficult subjects. Next week, Amaris, a good friend of mine, Corey's wife, is going to get up here and she's going to talk about her struggle with depression and being bipolar. And I've known Amaris for many, many years, watched her struggle with this disease, and there's no other way to say this, it just sucks. And so we're going, to get up, get up, we're going to allow them to get up here. And we're going to have an honest dialogue about what it looks like to navigate through mental illness. And Amherst is going to share with you that through this process, she's found glimmers of hope and light in a world that oftentimes just feels dark. The week after that, we're going to come up here and talk about how do we reconcile a loving God in a world where there's so much pain and suffering. And guys, I get it. I really do. I, I get it. I get why this is a struggle for so many people. Right now, I have an aunt who's 60 years old, and she was just diagnosed, diagnosed with ALS, a really fast um, and aggressive form of it. And if you don't know what ALS is, it's a horrible disease that just completely tears the body down. One of the worst ways to probably die. And one of the things you should know about my aunt is she's probably one of the most loving people that you'll ever meet in your life. She'll give you the shirt off her back, literally, which would be kind of weird because she's a girl, but she, 
she's just made her life about serving and helping others, including myself. Her first husband beat her. Her second husband left her for another woman. And this year she's probably going to die from one of the most debilitating diseases that's out there. Say something, right? And to be honest with you, I mean, I can define, I'm okay biblically. I understand why bad things happen to good people. I, I, I understand that. But it doesn't keep me from times from looking up and just asking God, why? Why? Why does it have to be this way? But I also know that there's hope. And that hope is coming for each and every one of us. So all that was an introduction. So what I want to do now is I want to begin our conversation with this question. Where do we go for our pain? When I was 16 years old, I had a handful of unfortunate events come in my direction. I know some of you have been there before where they kind of hit you all at once. And some of those unfortunate events were things that I caused. And some of those unfortunate events were things that I had no control over. I got a phone call one morning. I was staying over at a friend's house. I still remember the phone call very clearly. And it was from my mom. And she said, uh, well, she was trying to say something. And I couldn't make out what she was trying to say. And she finally pulled back the tears and cleared her voice and informed me that one of my cousins had just been brutally murdered in a random act of violence. She was only 16 years old. One of my best friends growing up. And so my mom went to be with her sister to offer whatever condolences and just help in whatever way that she could. Just lost her own daughter in this way. And I'm still processing through my own pain. So I decided to go out and I get stoned, drink a bunch of alcohol, and I get behind the wheel of a car. I'm still thankful to this day that I didn't kill anybody. And by the end of that night, I had been charged with a DUI possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia, concealed deadly weapon, and attempt to elude an officer at the age of 16. And of course, I lost my license, and life was just kind of falling apart for me then. Some of that was my doing. We often don't know how to process our pain, do we? We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do with it. And so we're left to our own abilities, and sometimes that's not enough. And so what what do we do? We self-medicate, don't we? We go to things that we think are going to offer us some temporary relief, knowing that they're probably, it's probably not going to be a long-term solution. But oftentimes these things that we're going to for immediate relief cause more damage and more pain than they do any good. Now, I want to take a time out really quick and make sure that no one hears what I'm not saying this morning. When it comes to... Um, medications and things that you need to be taking for certain types of pain, whether it's mental illness, physical pain, whatever that may be, that's not a conversation that I'm talking about today. So you can shelf that. That is not what I'm talking about. You'll hear me say this uh, more than once. I believe God shows up in people. I believe he shows up in prayer and I believe he shows up in pills. Okay. And by pills, I mean modern medicine. So that's not going to be a part of our conversation, but where do we go for our pain? Oftentimes, Our pain can become like this cloud of confusion that surrounds us, doesn't it? Keeping us in this perpetual state of not knowing what to do or how to move forward. And so one of my hopes today as we move forward and we get towards the end of this conversation, one of the best things that I feel I can leave you with is clarity on what you're supposed to do in the midst of your pain. 
Do we keep going back to these things that give us immediate relief or gratification, knowing that it probably at some point will lead to greater damage? At what point will we actually look up and say, Jesus, I need you. For me, it was when I got my second DUI. And I'm sitting in a jail cell. And for me, that was rock bottom. And I hate that that's the case for so many because it takes getting to the bottom before we'll actually look up. Isn't that true? I don't want that. I don't want that for any of you. I don't want that for any of your kids. And so you need to know this is a place where we welcome those conversations on the front end. We don't want to have conversations months later when we have to say things like, I never knew. I never knew that was actually what was going on in your life. Friends, we want to navigate the pains of your life with you. It's really what the church should be. And if we can't bring our pain to the church, then goodness, where can we bring it? But my hope for all of you and people that you know is that we'll, we'll look up before we'll ever get to the bottom. Here's what Jesus' message has always been. I want you to hear this clearly. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does that sound good to anybody else? Guys, I want you to meet Mike. Mike is a a friend of mine and Corey's we know really well uh, back in Arizona. And Mike finally, finally understood that he was running to the wrong things for his pain. Here's Mike's story. Really, there's kind of a theme that ran through my whole life as a kid growing up and young adulthood that was kind of a bitterness and and resentment. That carried on in this incredibly bad theme and sent me on a course. I lived what most people would think of as the dream. Great job, a lot of success, many conquests, and was absolutely, completely miserable. I had grown up in a Lutheran tradition that was extremely legalistic. We weren't observing at home. We didn't pray at home. We didn't read the Bible. But still as a kid, I I had a love for Christ instilled in me. When I reached college, I actually started uh, becoming a performer. I had a roommate who was a magician and... and, uh, So I started studying that stuff, and by the time I graduated, I was actually doing shows in nightclubs and things like that. Now, my sleeves are rolled up on this one, okay? But all I'm going to do, I'm going to go like this. One, two, three, just like that. I'm going to roll like that, and that thing's going to be gone, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. (laughs) Isn't that cool? 
Ended up moving to New Orleans. I started, I started doing drugs. The influence of the status of being on stage, I used that to get all, into all kinds of sexual situations and ended up um, really developing this huge sexual addiction as well. I had been burned out on the shows, just wanted to throw my whole life away. I'd almost committed suicide, and so I decided what I'm going to do is just change my entire life fundamentally. And so I moved to Phoenix, and I got a trainer, and I ended up losing 150 pounds, and I got really fit. It might sound like a, a positive change, but it completely wasn't because it was completely motivated by the wrong desires. And I would program myself visualizing what I was gonna do when I got thin, when I got fit. And uh, then I lived out every evil fantasy that I had. Uh, I just went from a, a dark life to a darker life. And when you get everything you think is gonna make you happy and you realize you're more miserable and empty than ever before, that's, there you are, that's bottom. There is a, a progression that's shown in the Bible where we rejoice in our sufferings because sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. So after nine years of not having to have perseverance, I just noticed that I also didn't have character and I didn't have hope. Knew there was a God, knew that I was alienated from Him. And then a friend of mine said, uh, hey, you should check out this one guy. He's biblically based. And so I listened to this guy and here's the moment. I'm at, I'm at the complex at my gym. I'm on the treadmill, I'm the only one there. And I'm listening to a sermon. There's just a huge weight of conviction. And the spirit just absolutely crushes me. And I'm on my knees bawling. And I literally, literally felt Jesus' arms around me. And then I said, there's nothing in my life worth saving at all. I used to pray that God would, if there was anything good in me, that God would save that and just kill the rest of me. And in that moment of conviction, that's kind of what happened. I threw away all the porn and all the drugs that I had. And um, just like the prodigal son, I mean, it, it's a real life one. And so I'm just soaking up everything, everything that I can. Started volunteering for everything I could and I got baptized in our first big open baptism. I've had the opportunity to go to North Africa a couple times and there's just such a hunger for, for God again and such a joy to be in His presence again when I thought that I was irredeemable. Do I have rough times? Yeah. Does depression sneak back in? Definitely but I'm not estranged from God. As long as he's with me, I'm, I'm not afraid of any of it. Knowing that I can go through anything, and that's, it's incredible. My name's Mike Fisher, and this is my story.
you guys don't know Mike, and Mike's not here, but every time I hear a story like that, can we just celebrate it? Is that okay? Can we celebrate that story? Have you ever noticed that the things that we're running to are oftentimes the things that we actually should be running from? And the opposite is actually true because the things that we're running from should be the thing or the person that we're running to. I want you to ask yourself a real question this morning and process, process it in your own time, but is that true for you right now? You see, Mike learned that the things he was running to not only were destroying his life, but they were also leading him further away from God's purpose in his life. And this is a really important statement that I'm about to make. Guys, when, when life gets painful, and it will, whether it's physical pain, mental, emotional, relational, we should have a clear plan of what we're going to run to and what we need to be running from. All of us know our own triggers, don't we? We know the things that are going to be more tempting for us at times when things aren't going the way that we would hope, whatever that pain may look like for you. I'll, I'll give you a confession. When, when life's going really tough for me, if I'm having a, having a tough week in ministry and it happens sometimes, uh, I go to the stone. And, and no stone doesn't have anything to do with stoned or marijuana or anything like that. Stone is what us regulars call coat stone creamery. And I'll go in there, and I'll just kind of give the, the person behind the counter the look, and they know I need a scoop of coffee ice cream. And then sometimes I'm like, hit me, baby, one more time. That means two, two scoops. That's language at the stone for those regulars. You, I'm just trying to add some lighthearted stuff to this, guys. Work with me here. It's, I, know it's, I know it's heavy. But, I mean, honestly, sometimes the things that we run to are more trivial, trivial aren't they? We do run to food. We run to TV. Maybe you get, <laughs> just jump into Netflix and binge watch all types of TV shows. Maybe that's how you deal with some of the pain in your life. Sometimes we run to a hobby. And even though, even though these are more trivial, not to say that they can't be harmful in their own right, because they absolutely can. But let's be honest, because many times the things we run to for our pain can cause a lot more damage, can't they? I know for me, I used to run to alcohol. I used to run to marijuana. And I'm going to have a different kind of conversation with you right now that probably a lot of pastors wouldn't have with you. And so stay with me because it's possible that you're going to hear something that I'm not saying in what I'm about to tell you. I'm not going to be the guy that tells you to don't go smoke pot because bad Christians do that. Do I want you to smoke marijuana? No. I used to smoke a lot of marijuana. And what I can tell you what it did in my life, it started to change my personality. And I watched it start to change the personality of my friends who did it a lot around me. Now, is it legal in this state? Yeah. Please listen to this. As soon as we start taking our cues from the government instead of God, we're in trouble. Here's one example. The government says that we can take the life of an unborn baby from its mother's womb, and that's okay. But if you take an egg out of an eagle's nest, you'll get a year in prison. I want you to think about the rationale of that. Now, let me also say, if there's anybody in this room that's had an abortion, we love you, we're glad you're here, and we'll navigate that pain with you. You're not going to be judged here, I promise, at least on my end. And if you do feel judged, let me know, because that's not the kind of culture that we want to create here. I remember the first time that I took an Oxycontin. I, had a, I, I do have a herniated disc in my neck, and at one point it was really, really bad. I've had surgery on it since then, but my doctors prescribed Oxycontin, and I remember taking one of those pills and thinking, this is awesome. 
And for those of you that have ever dealt with chronic pain, you understand. It's like, man, these little babies are, are sweet. But really quickly, that triggered something else in my mind to say, I need to wean myself off of these as soon as possible because I don't want anything coming in my life or your life that's going to cloud God's, God's purpose for you. And that's what happens because we start running to these things for our hope. And again, keep in mind, I understand at times there are certain pills or medications that you need. We're not talking about that. I want you to hear from the Apostle Paul. And I think the way that he says this in Ephesians 5 is probably the most productive for the conversation that we need to have today when it comes to what we're running to and what we need to be running from. Here's what he says. He says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul says there is, you can't be full of wine and also be full of the Spirit. Now, we're not talking about a beer or a glass of wine from time to time. Bible gives you freedom there. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what it means to be consumed by these things, to allow them to contaminate our lives to the point to where we can no longer see God clearly. I mean, go back to that verse. Keep that verse up there. He said, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. That's what we're trying to figure out. Aren't we even in the midst of our pain? We're trying to navigate, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? Where am I supposed to run with this? How am I supposed to deal with this pain in my life? And God says, listen, don't fill yourself with anything, whether it's pills or pot or, or alcohol or anything else to the point to where it starts to inhibit the Holy Spirit's work in your life. That's what we need. We need to have a clear conscience so that God can speak to us through his Holy Spirit and help us find clarity, clarity and how we're supposed to move forward. But if we're not careful, we'll keep running back to these things, allowing them to contaminate our body and our mind and even our soul, keeping us in this perpetual state of confusion. Now I wanna switch gears for a second because when it comes to the pain in our life, there is one thing that Corey and I would both agree on seems to be coming up more than any other subject of how or where people are going when it comes to dealing with the pain in their life. And oftentimes they go to this particular thing when they're dealing with relational pain, emotional pain, sometimes even physical pain. And where they're going is pornography. Some of you guys came out to our event on Friday night that we put uh, addicted to porn, chasing the cardboard butterfly that Justin Hunt uh, produced and directed as a huge success. And thank you for all those that came and were part of that conversation. But for our conversation this morning, I want to go uh, a little bit different direction. I want to talk to you about the city of Corinth, because I know sometimes I hear this argument, oh, the Bible's not relevant. I want to show you how relevant the Bible is specifically when it comes to this subject, because I think we would all agree that we live in a very highly sexualized society right now, right? Well, the city of Corinth was no different and probably a little bit worse. And Paul wrote several letters to different churches in the New Testament. And two of the letters that he wrote was to the church that was in Corinth. And the first letter that he writes, 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bible, you can turn there if you want. Uh, we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in a few moments. But the first letter that he writes is actually a reprimand. 
And so if you ever read this book, you should read it through that lens. He is reprimanding that church because what they're doing, they're allowing too much of society and culture to work its way into the church and vice versa. They're allowing what's happening in the church to start to be influenced too much by society. Here's what you should know about Corinth. On the top of Corinth was a place called the Aphrodite Temple, also called the Temple of a Thousand Prostitutes. And this temple was known by sailors and everyone, not just in Corinth, but all around Corinth. And uh, lewd sexual acts would happen in this temple. And, and once again, this is an actual artifact that exists that you can actually go see. And this temple of a thousand prostitutes had men and women alike. And what would happen is people would come and offer their female and male slaves and even children's slaves to the temple goddess Aphrodite. And if you read up on this subject, you'll actually read some pretty horrendous things like men got tired of sleeping with women, so they started to sleep with younger boys. Horrible place. And Paul is finding out that the church is actually starting to participate in some of these things. Excuse me. <clears throat> and here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is a part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Interesting side note real quick. We get the word pornography from the Greek word for prostitute, which is pornai, I believe is how it's pronounced. It says, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him. Run! from sexual sin. If you look at the Greek word there, you're gonna also see the word flee and escape. What do we escape from? We escape from things that are not good for us. Paul says, run from sexual sin because no other sin is so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is what Jesus uses to accomplish his purposes through our life. Who, who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, his very own son, crucified on the cross. So you must honor God with your body. This is the only time that we see Paul set aside a specific sin and say it's different than all others. But don't miss this. This is important. It doesn't mean that it's not equally forgiven, because it is. It's equally forgiven. But Paul tells us to run, literally run away from this particular sin because he knows how much damage it can do. And for those of us, including myself, that have had sexual sin in our life in the past or maybe currently, you know how much damage it can do. And so I want you to hear it one more time. Because Paul is really clear when it comes to sexual sin. Run! That's how much damage it can cause in our life. I'm going to share some stuff with you that is depressing. But I think it's important for us to know, and I promise you we're going somewhere. Here's a few statistics for you. Today, the average age kid that starts looking at porn is 10 years old. 10 years old. Psychologists say that young men today are becoming impotent with their partner 
at a very young age because the same stimulus of pornography is not there to arouse them. The dopamine rushes that people get from pornography are more addicting than both cocaine and heroin. And 50% of all divorces today attribute one of the main reasons for their divorce is because of one of the people, one of the, one of the partners looking at pornography and being addicted to it. But the last one is probably the most harmful. Stay with me, we're going somewhere. There's something in the brain called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is your brain's ability to actually create new pathways of, work, of, of uh, learning how to do things differently. A great example here is when someone has a stroke, once they have a stroke, their brain is not functioning in that aspect, that part of the brain anymore, but it literally finds new pathways to create the same product, the same outcome. Your brain is fascinating. And what's happening when we put ourselves in front of these highly erotic images that create these really strong um, shots of dopamine into our system, we are literally creating new neural pathways. This is scientifically proven. New neural pathways in our brain that now we're looking at the rest of the world through. Meaning we're looking at the rest of the world and everything going on in our life in this highly sexualized context. Now I want to remind you of something that Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says this, because there is hope. Hang with me. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Guys, pornography is normal now. It's normal in our society. Paul says, I don't care. I don't care what the government says. I don't care what this culture says is normal. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing the renewing of your mind. This can happen both spiritually and physiologically. Then, big transition word here. He says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Meaning, just as you can create new neural pathways, if we will start running from the thing that sometimes we run to to find ease and comfort for our pain, Scientists also say that if you stop using those neural pathways, that they will die. Those pathways in your brain that right now feel like it's just a part of who you are, whoever I'm speaking to in here that's struggling with this right now, you can kill them. And God's going to give you even a deeper type of power. And Ephesians 3.20 says, now to him that's able to do incredibly more than you could, <clears throat> you could ever ask or imagine. According to the power that is work, at work within you, your brain can be transformed. But you've got to start running from the thing that you often run to. Jesus actually has some interesting things to say about our eyes. In Matthew chapter 6, he says this, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy... The whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Maybe you've heard it said that our eyes are the lamp or the gateway to our soul. I think Jesus would support that statement by what he says here. Now, I'm going to stop and I'm going to read something that I know some of you need to hear right now. And So do me a favor, every one of you, and tune in to what I'm about to say. I don't care how far you've run away from God. 
No matter how deep you're in, you are in an addiction right now, no matter how many times you've screwed up in life, no matter how many times you've compromised your convictions, no matter how much the pain in your life sucks right now, you are not too far removed from God's ability to take the broken things in your life and restore them into something beautiful. You know why I can say that with so much conviction? Because that's what he's done in my life. My struggles may not be the same as yours, but pain is a universal language that we all speak. I want to point to one more thing that Jesus says that's going to leave us with probably one of the strongest action steps that I can leave you with. And he actually says this in one of his Beatitudes. In the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount that starts in Matthew 5, Jesus says these words that are really interesting. He says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Say something, or I'm giving up. God did say something. He said a lot of things. And the interesting thing about the Greek word here for pure, and keep that verse up, Kayla, please. The Greek word for pure here is the word katharos. And this word means to not mix two things together that weren't supposed to be mixed together. It actually says to decontaminate. Blessed are the pure in heart. And heart would just be another word for our life. Blessed are those that are decontaminating their life because in that process, we'll get to see God. Isn't that what we're trying to do in the midst of all of our pain as we're navigating all the hurts of this life? Don't we just want to see God? Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Friends, it's time that we start running away from the things that we often run to, and it's time that we start running to the person that we often run from. And if you'll begin this process with me of decontaminating our lives, whatever you're mixing with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit being the thing that's trying to lead your life so he can help you to see God in the midst of your pain and suffering, don't mix. That's the Greek word here. Two things that shouldn't be mixed together. Let's decontaminate our lives and our hearts and start running from the thing that we often run to. I want to close with this. Many of us, all of us probably, uh, remember what happened up at Columbine. And the first young lady that was shot in that incident and actually lost her life was a young lady by the name of Rachel. And months, maybe even years later, they asked Rachel's dad, they said, hey, how do we deal with pain like this in the, in the future? Not just how do we deal, how do we prepare ourselves for pain like this in the future? And his response is incredibly telling. Out of all the things that he could say after, and again, just take some time and try to empathize with where he would be, that he lost his daughter in this incredible act of violence. And he says, the way that we prepare ourselves for pain like this in the future is this. Make yourself a student of God's word. That's what he said. Because he, he understood, based on the pain that he had gone through himself, by being into God's word, he learned to see God again in the midst of incredible pain and suffering. 
Friends, today we actually start something. Uh, it was our squad goal, for those of you that were here a few weeks ago. Corey's going to talk to you more about this here in just a few moments. But our squad goal is to read one chapter of the Bible between today and Easter, which is 70 days. It says it, 66 days before it takes something to become a habit. One chapter a day. Guys, will you, will you dive into God's word with us? And as we become a student of his word, that might be the best thing that we could ever do to prepare us for future pain. I'm going to pray, and the guys are going to come up here. Father, I just want to thank you for spending the time with me that you did on this message, because I knew it was going to be tough, I knew it was going to be hard. And, but Father, I think that what we've, what we've done today might be one of the best things that we could do to start this conversation God, what is it in our life that we need to decontaminate from? What is it in our life that we need to start running from, even though right now we're probably running to it? God, for those in here that have been scared and fearful to expose the pain in their life, maybe out of embarrassment, maybe out of pride, whatever that may be, that you'll start to help them to see that this is a safe place where they can come and expose what's really going on in their life, and then they don't have to live in isolation with it anymore that we'll come alongside of each other and that we'll actually carry one another's burdens. This is what you told us to do. So, Father, for the healing that needs to take place in here today, I know for many this is not just as, as easy as flipping a switch. There, there's probably addictions in this room where the power of your Holy Spirit needs to fall into the hearts and souls of some people in here and begin to help them work through some of this crap but reminding them all along that there is power available to them that is beyond our understanding. God, thank you for that. We celebrate that. 